Welcome to an inspirational message recorded live at Little Falls Christian Center. Heavenly Father, as we commit this service unto you, Father, as the rain has been pouring down, we pray for a fresh outpouring of your Holy Spirit upon each and every single one of us. Soak us in your word, Lord. And may the fire of the truth of your word burn forever bright in all of us. Father, we pray that you will be glorified in this day. And all of this, we pray in the holy name of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. And all of us agree in this. And we say, Amen. Amen. Thank you very much, Ben. Once again, such a blessing. And good morning to each and every single one of you. I can see the apparel and the clothing of the people are changing drastically because of the weather that is changing. But you know, in the hearts of the child of God, the fire is always burning and we have to keep that fire burning all along. All along we have. This is our responsibility. God cannot do that for us. We have to make sure that the fire keeps on burning. The week in build up to this particular sermon this morning, one thing kept at me the whole time. One thing I could not escape. And that no matter where I look, our Lord Jesus Christ is all over. All over this world, you cannot escape our Lord Jesus Christ. You look at what's happening in this world right now. You see the devastation that is happening. You see the corrupt minds, the evil in this world. And you cannot escape Jesus because He spoke of this. He came and He died for this. He lived and died so that we can become alive. We cannot escape our Lord Jesus Christ anywhere in this world. And for us who are saved, we see this everywhere. We see hope. We are the ones who give the hope. We cannot escape our Lord Jesus Christ because once your eyes have been opened, you see Him in every place. In a week's time, we will be celebrating the Passover. And if we look what is happening in this world, I could not help but thinking, how many more of these are we going to have? How many Passovers are we going to be here? Because everything is pointing to the fact that pretty soon things must change. Pretty soon something is going to happen that is going to change this world. I was thinking about the year 2009, in my life was the first time that ever I experienced what recession was like. I was on my way to work that morning and I drove past Santon and I saw this huge construction site and they were building a supermarket and many other stores there. And that morning it was quiet, absolutely quiet. There was nothing there. There was no construction taking place. All these earth moving equipment, they were standing there. Dead silence, a graveyard of machinery and construction, not a single soul on that side. And so it was for many, many, many months because the world was in a global recession. It is one thing for a financial recession to be present, but quite another when there's a spiritual recession happening. And the church right now, the body of Christ where we are right now at this point in time is at great risk of being caught up in a recession. Because for one thing we must understand, things are not the same as they used to be. And one would think that after two years of COVID, that the churches would be 
running over with people coming back, wanting to be different because of all of this. Our lives have been changed. We're grateful that we are the ones that are here, that are blessed, that are alive, because many people didn't make it through COVID. And one would think that this is the case. And I was so, so, so shocked with statistics concerning the state of the church. And I'm talking just the year before COVID, that in America, on average, four and a half thousand churches are closing per annum. This was before COVID. Now you must imagine, after COVID, it's much worse. And only 3,000 new congregations sprout forth. In Europe, the devastation in Europe is far worse. Four years ago, it was said, according to that information available, only 22% of believers in Europe attend church at least once a month. Once a month. And we look at our nation and we see what's happening in our nation. And we cannot help but thinking, God, what has to happen for us to come alive out of this spiritual recession? Because if we think for one moment that what is happening in this church and some of the other good churches in our nation, that this is the state of the church and of the body of Christ in the nation, we are sorely mistaken because it is not the case. It is not the case of what's happening in our nation. All the more reason why we as believers have to get back to what is the essence of God's Word, and that's getting back to the house of God. All the more why someone like Nehemiah must be inspiring us to have a moment when you realize, irrespective of what's happening in this world and whatever my situation is, that that zeal burns in you, that you know that you have to come to the house of God because it is the only place where the presence of God dwells and gives it corporately and that we experience the fullness of God's Holy Spirit. Yes, you may experience it in a place where you pray. Yes, there in your home you may experience that. But it is here in the house of God that God has reserved it for the Holy Spirit through signs and wonders and miracles for it to happen in the house of God. And I want to go to the book of Nehemiah because today we're going to read just a few verses and we're going to see why God is speaking to the church. Two and a half thousand years ago when Nehemiah wrote this, he spoke exactly to the church in the hour and the times that we are in. So we can go to the book of Nehemiah chapter one and I'm just going to read the first four verses there. So you can read with me. It says there, the words of Nehemiah, the son of Hekeliah. Now it happened in the month of Chislev in the 20th year, as I was in Susa, the citadel, that Hanani, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah, and I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. This was more or less 60 years now between 50 and 60 years that Israel had been sent and been given the opportunity to go now and populate and go and live in Jerusalem again. And the temple was rebuilt under Zerubbabel and Ezra had gone after that and he took another 1,500 people with him and they had um, restored God's law. But now Nehemiah asked, how is it 
in the city of Jerusalem, the city of God. And now Hanani and his friends give this report to Nehemiah, verse 3. And they said to me, the remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. And verse 4, Nehemiah says, And as soon as I heard these words, I sat down and I wept and I mourned for days and I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Nehemiah was so moved by that which he heard, he wept, he fasted, and he prayed because he saw the state of God's city, of God's people, and of God's church. The walls were taken down, the gates were burned. What does that mean? That means there's free entry and exit into the city of Jerusalem. They can go and ransack the house of God, desecrate it as they like, because there was no protection. And there was one thing that moved Nehemiah out of all of this. He wanted to be in one place only, and that was to go to Jerusalem, to go to the house of God. That was the only thing that he wanted. He prayed and he fasted and God opened the door for him and the king was very favorable towards him. The king sent him. That's all where he wanted to be. But listen, listen to what Nehemiah did. He was living in the palace. He was the cupbearer to the king, a very favorable position. He sacrificed all of that comfort and he left his comfort and he went to a broken city with broken walls and gates. All of that he had, he was so moved by the house of God that all that he wanted to do to was, go, was there. It's the only place that he wanted to go to because he determined that I'm going to fix the house of God. I'm going to fix the walls. I'm going to fix the gates because it is lying in ruins and nobody's doing anything about this. I gave up my life and I'm going now to the place where, the, where, the, where all this uh, destruction had taken place. He left the comfort of his house and he went to a place that was lying in ruins. One would think that most people will do this considering we've just come out of a two-year isolation and an exile. We were exiled. We were not allowed to be coming to the church, but we've built our lives around this now very comfortably, I may say. You know, our houses are nowadays comforted with, we've got the best of technology that is out there. We have readjusted our lives with the work that we do because now we can work from home and all the comfort is at home. Everything was built around this, that at home we can stay and at home it is comfortable. And you know what? We've got the best pastor in town. We've got pastor YouTube. Because you can find any sermon and any topic that is on there. Videos are sent. And you know, I will say this. There are great teachings on YouTube. I will give it that. But it can never be a substitute. But most people are staying there because now people are passing on them these video clips and these messages of this and that. If I have to watch every single video that I receive per day, I would spend my whole day just watching YouTube. 
But that now, that now has become the norm because the house of God is lying in ruins. And I'm talking spiritually now, a spiritual recession. The house of God is lying in ruins, but it's fine because in the comforts of our home, we have adjusted our lives to live in that particular way because this is my new life. And if I have to get out of the house, I will. But if I don't need to, I will not. You've got Mr. Delivery that delivers everything to your home. You don't have to get out of your house. But the house of God is lying in ruins, precious child of God. Because if the house of God was blooming, why in South Africa more than half of all the churches are empty? Half. This is even with the present restriction on churches. And let me put this into numbers so that we all can understand. I work by numbers. It makes easy sense for me, the numbers. If we say a congregation can host a thousand people and present regulations dictate that we are only allowed to have 50% capacity in the church. That is 500. Presently in our nation, a church like that only have got at best 250 people coming. A quarter of that church essentially is attending church. This is the state of the church in South Africa because what are we doing as the body of Christ? I'm not talking to you, I'm speaking with you because there are things that we need to do because unless we wake up and we restore the walls and the gates of God's house, nothing is going to change and this land will lie in devastation because God is only looking at the body of Christ to help. We are His only voice. We are His only hands and His feet that He's looking at and we have to become like a Nehemiah. We have to get over our own circumstances and start looking at how can we get the house of God to the place that it's supposed to be. We have to be the light that is out there in this world because there's no one that is going to burn the light in you except God through His Holy Spirit and unless you ask it to come, it's not going to happen. What are we going to change? I ask this question, what in our lives have changed so drastically since COVID where we are at right now? Think of the things that you used to do, the things that you used to do in the kingdom of God. If you used to come to church in the morning and in the evening and you don't do it anymore, if you used to go to a home cell and you don't do it anymore, if you used to be in Bible college and you don't do it anymore, if you used to pray an hour and you don't do that anymore. There's only one thing that is happening. You are on the path of backsliding and you have to get back because the walls and the gates of God's house is coming down and you are playing an active role in that. And God is very sad at all of this. He's looking at you and he's looking at me to resurrect the church so that we can become the hands and the feet and the voice that he needs out there. When Nehemiah went to Jerusalem, what did he see? He went to inspect first of what was happening. He saw the walls broken down. He saw the gates and he encountered great resistance. Walls always speak of protection. That protection was suddenly in ruins because when a city is walled, it kept them safe and protected inside. But here's the crux concerning a wall. Why must the walls be restored? Because once the walls are restored, God puts His watchmen and His watchwoman on those walls. It, yes, let's give God a praise offering for that because this, this is what our God wants to do. But He cannot do that if we don't rebuild the walls. 
God is needing the body of Christ to be the watchman and the watchwoman in the hour that we are in. But if the walls aren't repaired, then the body of Christ cannot do what it is supposed to do. And there are walls that are down in each person's life. There are walls that are down even in the churches. And unless we do something about this, nothing is going to change. The city will lie in ruins and the the marauders and the band of thieves, they will come and they will plunder the house of God. This is what has happened in that time and this is what is happening in the churches today. Because if a church don't have the people, how can God use the church to reach His people? And who are His people? It's not the saved ones. It is everyone Everyone who are created in His image and His likeness. That is why God needs the walls and the gates to be restored. The watchmen and the watchwomen can only stand on the walls when it is rebuilt. And and Nehemiah started with that first. Got to the walls first. And there were 12 gates in Jerusalem at the time. And they started rebuilding these gates as well. A gate always talks about keeping safe and protect that which is inside and keep evil outside. Because nobody can come through a gate if the gate is closed. And the moment the gate is put up, there's guards there to protect. So the people inside are protected. This is what God is expecting of us as the body of Christ, to put up those gates again to protect what is His so that we can go and do what He wants us to do. But if there are no gates, then the enemy can come in and run riot. And many people, many of us even, have allowed the enemy to come in. There are open doors in our lives that are not supposed to be open. We have started compromising on certain things. You know, the world is giving us many, many things to do and to compromise. And you know, some of them, we actually very easily let it slide in. Let it, it's fine to let this go. Listen to me. If you are going to dance with the devil, that's what you're doing when you're compromising. If you're going to dance with the devil, there's only one who's going to lead that dance, and it is not you. He will lead you, and it will lead to a path of destruction. Don't you dance with the devil, because it will be a long and a painful dance, and you will get hurt, and you will be destroyed because of this. You have to. You have to get this, child of God. Open doors. You have to close Open doors in your life have to be closed. And you know what they are. You know the areas which you have compromised that you've allowed in very comfortably and very easily. It is not the obvious thing. It is the thing that you've slowly let go. The things pertaining to your relationship with God. If you are on a backsliding trajectory, then you will know exactly what I'm talking about. Now do you know this? As I've already mentioned, the things that you used to do that you do no more, those are your warning signs that you have to start looking again at where I am in my walk with God. If the walls and the gates are not restored in my own life, how can I be of service and help in the kingdom of God to rebuild His walls and His, and, and, and His gates? Because it has to start with you and I first. When Nehemiah encountered this great resistance, what did he do? Was he moved by resistance? Nehemiah knew about the works of the devil in the form of Tobias and Sanballat and others were sent to him and they kept him from trying to finish his work. It's one thing we must all know, we will encounter resistance in this life. It is going to come our way. It will happen. 
It will come our way, but when we keep our hands to the plow and we do the work of God, God is the one who fights the battle for us. Then we will want to come to the house of God. Listen what David says in Psalm 122 verses 1. I just want to get, it says here, I was so glad when they said to me, I was glad. I was glad when they said to me, let us go up to the house of God. Are you glad to be here today? Are you happy to be in the house of God? Amen. Amen. I look forward to Sundays to be in the house of God. I'm fortunate that I work in the house of God every single day. So I'm blessed. But can we truly say, because I remember a time in my life when it wasn't so happy and I wasn't so glad to be in the house of God because for me it became routine. But that was no one's fault. I couldn't blame that to my parents or anyone else. The problem was me. I didn't have a relationship with God, so I was never looking forward coming to the house of God. I just thought, okay, it's church again. It is Sunday school again. I can't wait getting out of here so that I can go and play some sport or some rugby. I had to change. I was the problem. My walls were down. My gates were down. And the enemy could do what he wanted to do. But thanks and praise be to God that he restored all of that. Listen to what um, David says again in Psalm 27 verse 4. One thing I've asked of the Lord, just one thing. And this is the thing that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in His temple. This is found in the house of God. Our Lord Jesus, at 12 years of age, He was found in the house of God. At 12 years. And this last week when He was in Jerusalem, every single day He was in the temple. It's written here, Daily, I was in the temple. The house of God is the place where our Lord Jesus wanted to be. And when He started teaching and ministering in the house of God, this is where everybody wanted to be because the truth was spoken. Here, signs and wonders and miracles took place because the Spirit of God was upon Him. Unrestrained. Unrestrained. And the people came to the house of God. What must we do? What must we do for everyone to come to the house of God again? How much must we beg? How much must we plead? How much must we crack the whip for those who are still not wanting to come to the house of God? Is the life so comfortable out there? Is my life changed so much that I have nothing more that I need? I'm happy to listen to Pastor YouTube because you know, he will counsel me. You know, he's gonna baptize me. You know, when I'm sick, he's gonna phone me and visit me in hospital. You know, if I need to have my children dedicated, Pastor YouTube is going to do that for me. In the house of God, God says, my house shall be a house of prayer. Not a person of prayer, a house of prayer. God's house must always be and will always be a house of prayer. In God's house, His presence dwells. And woe unto the churches where the presence of God is not there. Because that is on you as the leader of that church. You know, one of the saddest things that's happened in our nation over the last two years, churches have closed down. Pastors and leaders have left the ministry to start working in the corporate industry again because financially they're not able to live by that which the congregation is doing. Some of them have passed away. The shepherd of the flock had been separated and the house of God is lying in ruins because they have not rebuilt the walls and the gates. We are the ones 
that God is looking at. You are going to encounter resistance. And I want to say today to you, precious child of God, expect the resistance to come. You know what? When resistance comes, I tell you one thing. When you persevere, you will taste the victory. Nehemiah kept building four times, four times. He was asked to meet the evil Sanballat and Tobiah somewhere. And he knew it was a setup, but he didn't um, see to that. He kept his hand on the plow and the building. Once a, writ a letter was written to him to come and meet them, and he still refused. He knew this resistance would take him away from his focus on doing God's work. Our Lord Jesus encountered resistance. Many times, that last week in Jerusalem, he, when he went in every single day, you know where his resistance came from? His own people, church leaders, the Pharisees, the scribes. They resisted him, but he went back every single day and he persevered because he knew what was at stake. David experienced resistance from Saul. Daniel experienced resistance from the 123 satraps and the governors who wanted to kill him because the king had favor upon him. Jesus himself, our Lord, experienced resistance from his own disciples, from Judas, and from the devil himself. Get yourself ready, child of God. We are going to experience resistance. Resistance is something that builds perseverance. Our faith is matured and character is built, but resistance will come. But if you persevere, you will have the victory because God will usher in the victory if we, if we sustain this. Amen. I was working in a particular, I had three different jobs before I came full-time ministry. And there's one particular company that I worked in. Two years, I did a particular uh, uh, management course. I was selected to be part of a group. And for two years, every quarter, we would go away for a week. And that week, we would have lectures from the morning until the evenings. And so it was at the culmination of those two years, we were getting ready for the last module of the year. It will be in Cape Town. And after that would be a graduation. But this was the, the, the toughest of the lot because in this particular uh, module, the very last day, we would all do a presentation to the board of directors to the company. So for us, it was, it was a daunting task. But about a month before this particular module commenced, an email and a communication was sent through all of us. We were about 30 or odd uh, people, students or colleagues from different parts of the country and in the, in the world, international as well. So we were told that there's a risk that the module was not going to take place in the particular time that they had allocated and that we probably would have to move it forward by a week. And then the reason was given. It was a fasting time for a particular faith. And because of that, they wanted to just be sensitive to that and therefore bring it one week forward. And everybody sort of seemed to have been fine with this and I thought, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. At that time, everyone in that course, all 30 of them knew that I was a Christian. So I got back onto that email and said to everyone, you know what, I've got no problem with changing it. But if we do it because of a faith... Where was the compensation for my faith? Because in those two years, I often had to, mostly I had to fly out on a Sunday and had to fly back on a Sunday after that week. I didn't complain that I couldn't go to church. I was even fasting in some of those times, but I never let anybody know about this. I never used my faith as an excuse not to do the things that I'm supposed to do. And now they want me to change because of someone else's faith. 
So suddenly there was a lot of communication on these emails. And I could see this thing was going in a different direction. So I decided I'm going to phone every person that I know who's on this, this particular course with me who are Christians. And I explained to them, listen, as a Christian, I refuse to budge for another faith. If there was another reason, I would consider that. But for another faith, it's not going to happen. If my voice is not heard, then I'm agreeing to this. Long story short, they changed the date to go back to the original. But on that week, when we all met together, I encountered some different looks and resistance from some of the people and even from some of the management. I couldn't be bothered by that because I realized I was not going to be quiet. Even if they didn't change the date, I was going to stand up for my faith. I'm not going to be silent about this. Here's the thing that happened at the end of it all. They asked me, of all the students, to do a, a, a closing speech on behalf of the students. Me, the one who stirs. And I'm not that kind of person at all. I don't stir. I don't like, I don't like to stir. But I just realized I'm not going to be silent about this. And I did give that speech. And guess what I did at that speech? I quoted the Bible. I spoke out of God's Word. And I could see some of those managers who I knew was resistant towards me. I could see their faces. And only one of the managers came to me afterwards and he said to me, you know what, that scripture that you gave was so appropriate. The bottom line is, people, we are going to encounter resistance wherever we go. But if you stay with God, if you really stay the go with God and you stay the course, you will have the victory. If you read the book of Nehemiah, the first six chapters are just about rebuilding the wall and the, and the wall was rebuilt in spite of the resistance. The next seven chapters of Nehemiah talks about the benefits and the blessings because the wall the gates were rebuilt, that because of the resistance that he withstood, Nehemiah, that God showed what happened. Everything came into place. The, 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 the sacrifices were reinstated, the, the upholding of the law, the celebration of the festivals, the, the, the Sabbath again, all of that was restored because his resistance was based on refusing to bow his knee to the enemy. That is the, the work of you and me. That is the responsibility of you and me to rebuild the walls and the gates of our God in his house, this is his house, not your home or the comfort where you're in. Nehemiah was out for all, more than 20 years with this, giving all of this away, going back into the place where God's house was. God's house was his driving force. God's house was the place where his eyes was fixed upon. And everything was restored and God blessed him because of this. And listen to the very last words that Nehemiah writes concerning this. In Nehemiah 13, he says, the very last verse of the very last chapter in the book of Nehemiah, he writes this, remember me, O God, for good. Because everything he did was for God. Everything he did was to restore that which is rightfully God. The question is, and I'm closing with this, what is it that you in your life are doing to restore the walls and the gates in your lives? If there are any gates and walls that are down in your life, what is it that you are doing to restore them? What is it that you are doing to restore them? Are you going to go into action like Nehemiah did? He fasted and he prayed and then he went into action. He left his luxury and his comfort behind and he said, God's house first in my life. I'm going to go and attend to God's house because if God's house is not taken care of, 
The enemy will run riot concerning this. Why do you think God asked us as the body of Christ to pray for the rulers of our nation? You know, one of the things concerning a gate, a gate was representative of, of uh, government. It's the seat of government because in the gates of old, in the cities, the rulers would sit and they would judge. So if we do not pray for our leaders in our nation, the body of Christ will suffer because here's the thing, God gives us this. He doesn't say that your president is going to be saved. He doesn't say parliament is going to be saved. What does God say when, when we do what he asks us to do? He says when we present our supplications, our prayers, our intercession and thanksgiving before God and we pray for these people on authority, God says this, you will live a peaceable and quiet life. I will live a peaceable and quiet life in all reverence and in all fear. This is my portion. This is your portion. What they do, how they respond is up to them. The resistance will come of that we know. But if we persevere and we pray for the leaders of our nation, we will live in peace because it will be a godly peace. God takes care of us, not the enemy. We, we need, no need to fear about this world. This world talks about peace forever and a day. And let me tell you, in this book, there's nothing that says this world is going to have peace. There's nothing. There will not be any peace in this world because this world is going to come to an end. And pretty soon, what are we going on about and trying to save this world and doing all these things to resurrect things, but the house of God is neglected. If we neglect the house of God, God will remove himself from that nation. There's not one nation as far as I know, and I've looked, I've looked. There's not one nation that I know of where there's a godly government who says that Jesus Christ alone is God and our nation is built on these laws and statutes. Are you then surprised at the state of the world that they are in? I am not. This world talks about it. It warns me about this. That's why I pray that our leaders, yes, that they may come to the knowledge of God because that's God's desire. But I and my house will live a peaceable and quiet life by God's design and by His promises. I will do everything to do to care of God's house because God's house is where he resides. God's house is where things happen. In this house, I've seen many things happen over the 20 years that I've been here and I desire for that to happen. We talk about revival that must come. Let me tell you, revival cannot come. If God's house is lying in ruins, how can revival come? We have to fix the walls and the gates of God's house because if that happens, God will come and he will manifest himself and then we will see the signs and the wonders and the miracles and, the, and the, the anointing and the outpouring of God's Holy Spirit will be that evidence. We will see the lame standing here and they will walk out. I wouldn't even have to lay your hands or pray on anybody because when the presence of God is here, God heals that person. That is what the house of God does. Let's stand and give the Lord a praise offering. Amen. Come, let's give Him a proper praise offering. Yes. Hallelujah. Time for comfort is over, precious child of God. If Nehemiah could do it, look what he accomplished. Time for comfort is over. Unless we want to see things change, we're gonna have to change first. I'll rather lead and be the change than keep on following, waiting for someone else to change too. One man, one man, Nehemiah inspired so many people and God gave heed to him and he gave him help. It takes one man, one woman to stand up and say to God, Lord, 
I'm resurrecting the walls and the gates in my life and I will honor you in your house and do exactly the same. One person, if one person stands up, a nation will be touched by it because God does miracles. Amen. Let's raise our hands to the heavens. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful that we may be in your house, your house where your presence dwells. Lord, may you be lifted up high forever in, in our lives. And as we go our way now, Father, our prayer is that every person here will be blessed, that the favor of the Lord shall be upon them, Lord, that you will inspire in each and every single one of them, Lord, to be that one person to ignite the fire wherever they are. Father, protect them on the roads. We thank you so much much for the rain, and we bless your holy name for this. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of His Holy Spirit be with you now and forevermore. The Lord God bless you and He keeps you. He's make His face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord God lift up His countenance over you, and then He gives you His peace, His eternal peace. In Jesus Christ's name, we pray this. And all of God's people say, Amen. For more teachings like this and other material, please visit our website at www.littlefallsonline.com.